Thank you. Excellent singing. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. One of our Sunday school classes right now is going through First and Second Thessalonians. So if you're in that class, I'm not going to try to, you know, do anything that you had already heard. But uh, uh, excellent uh, study we're going to look at this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to encourage you to be back this evening. We've been doing a series on the parables of Christ, and uh, tonight we're going to continue that. And so I encourage you to be here this evening. We're going to continue through our explanation of our theme for 2016. Our theme for this year is serve, and uh, serve 16, and as we go throughout the year, there will be things that we'll talk about with that. Uh, We have some programs that we'll be doing, and I'll give you some more information even in the next couple of weeks, but uh, the idea is to serve, and through the first couple of months, we're focusing specifically on serving one another. What does that mean to serve one another? Uh, As we do a study, and we started this last week of the New Testament, we'll see that there are 56 times in the New Testament where the the phrase one another is used in relation to each other, how we're to interact with each other. So we're going to talk about that. Last week we talked about pray for one another, and I believe that's a foundation. You're not going to want to do any of these others we talk about unless you're praying for each other. We looked at that last week. There are many, many more one another commands given regarding how we treat one another as a community of faith. Commands such as love one another. That can be hard at times. Honor one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another. And bear with one another gives the idea of what? We're difficult. (laughs) But at times we have to do it. And then today I want you to look at, we're going to talk about encourage one another. Encouragement is a theme that runs through the first letter to the Thessalonians, and that's why I wanted to look at it. You will see through Thessalonians over and over again, the word encouragement is used four times in these five small chapters. And throughout the letter, Paul is trying to encourage the people. Uh, It was a time that they were going through a hard time. If you're in our Sunday school class, you know this, but uh, it it was a... A church that was really young. Many, most of them were young in the faith. They didn't know a lot about God. And, and because of persecution and affliction, Paul could not stay with them very long. And so he had to leave. And so they, at times, were very discouraged. And so Paul is trying to encourage them. The theme of encouragement is interesting because it wasn't a perfect church. We look and we see throughout these two books, we're going to see, uh, if you study them, you're going to see that there are things they dealt with. Uh, In chapter 4, if you look there uh, on your own, take some time to look there, but in chapter 4, the church of uh, the Thessalonians, they were struggling, many of them, with sexual immorality. There were struggles going on there, and and Paul doesn't elaborate on it, but we see that was an issue that they were dealing with. If you look throughout 1 and 2 Thessalonians over and over again, he deals with the issue of laziness. It was a group of people who, they got so excited about the fact that that Christ was going to return that many of them stopped working. And they were, just, they were just kind of uh, bumming a living off of other people around them. And so they're not a perfect church. And really the fact that it's not a perfect church, it, gives, it makes it more instructive to us. Because it was an imperfect church like ours. And it was to a group of imperfect people like us. 
that he tells them to encourage one another. Biblical encouragement isn't just a nice thing that believers do. It's not just something that's, oh, that's sweet. It's something that should be woven, really woven into the fabric of who we are as a church. We want to look at that this morning. If you look in your Bible at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be really all over the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so I am going to read to you right now um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. And we really won't hit on all of this, but just in context there. He says in verse 1, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not uh, of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us Keep awake and be sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and love, and for the helmet, uh, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are asleep or awake, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this passage. Lord, I'm thankful for Paul's desire to encourage. And then he turns and tells the people to encourage one another. Lord, I want First Baptist Church to be known as a church that is encouraging. Lord, I pray help us to understand what that means. We ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning, let's consider, really, I want to consider two simple questions in light of 1 Thessalonians. First of all, what does the Bible mean when it says we're to encourage one another? And then secondly, how do we do it? Or in your notes, you'll see very simply, what is the meaning of encouragement and what is the method? Very simple So first of all, we want to look at what is the meaning of encouraging one another. And really, in order to understand what is the meaning of encouraging one another, I want to talk about just briefly, uh, what does it not mean? What does it not mean to encourage one another? Well, first of all, it does not mean that we flatter one another. You know what I mean? You know, recently I was in a a restaurant and I'm sitting there and, and the server came up and complimented my shirt. Why was Why was she doing that? Yeah, you all know, okay? She was hoping to get a bigger tip, okay? And uh, it didn't help. But, you know, flattery is not what Paul is talking about. Flattery is defined as excessive or insincere praise. Flattery is building people up in order to get something from them. To a casual observer, flattery may look like encouragement, but it's not the same thing at all. We need to learn to encourage people without falling into the the trap of praising people so that we can get something in return. In order to gain their approval, in order to get them to like us, in order to manipulate them in some way. That is not encouragement. I think sometimes even in the church we we see that. People say nice things about others to try to manipulate. And that's not what we should be doing. Someone once said, flattery is a wolf, not a friend. 
We love to be flattered, every one of us. I mean, (laughs) you love when people say nice things about you, but yet that's not the idea of encouragement. Secondly, it does not mean that we quote motivational sayings. A number of years ago, some of you uh, maybe remember this, there was this huge craze going on where you'd go in pretty much any office building in America, it seemed like, and there would be these, these beautiful photos with motivational sayings underneath. How many of you remember that, that going on? You still see them around, you know, and I loved, I loved some of them. And, you know, like, I'll show you some. There's this one. You probably can't read them, so I'll read it to you. It says, challenge. You know, it's the, the bear catching the fish. And it says, through effort and determination comes success. Aw, isn't that so sweet? As if that helps to motivate you. You know, a bear eating a fish, that's going to do it. You know, sometimes we think that it is. Or, or how about this one? There's, you know, the beautiful picture of a guy on the top of a mountain that none of us in here really would wish were there. I mean, we wish we were there, but maybe we don't, we don't want to do the work to get to that point. Okay, and it says, ambition, inspire to climb as high, uh, excuse me, as high as you can dream. Oh, isn't that great? And really, it was a, it's a million-dollar market for motivational products like these, and a lot of people were buying into the idea that motivational sayings would encourage success. I, I love what came after this. Some of you remember, remember this. In response to this, there was a company that was started that was called Despair. And they started making what they called demotivating products. And their motto was this. They promised that while motivational prom, uh, products don't work, their demotivational products work even better or don't work even better. <laughs> so they started doing like you know, the guy took the fish and it says their ambition, the journey of a thousand miles, sometimes ends very, very badly. <laughs> uh, that was a good one, or or, or this one. Uh, believe in yourself because the rest of us think you're an idiot. <laughs> You know, biblical encouragement isn't spouting off motivational sayings one to another. It's much deeper. It's much stronger. It's much more honest than that. So what does the Bible mean when it says to encourage one another? What exactly does it mean to encourage each other? Because we're given a command, and Paul gives this command numerous times just in this book alone. He says we're to encourage one another. So what does he mean? In 1 Thessalonians, there are two Greek words used for an encouragement. The first Greek word that is used a few times here is parakaleo. Okay, parakaleo. The idea of para means to come alongside, and, and, and uh, so parakaleo means to call from alongside of. It's the idea of coming alongside of someone and, and encouraging them. The other word is a similar word, but it means to counsel from alongside of. It's the idea of assisting and supporting uh, alongside of, next to. And so the word, we notice that encouragement has the sense of coming alongside of. It's coming alongside of someone in their life, their struggles, their stories, their pains, their aches. It's not hovering over top. Encouragement isn't distance. It's not far away, it's close. It's, it's, it's relatable, it's understandable. It's, I've been there. Encouragement is, is the idea of, you know, in, in Scripture, there's a biblical metaphor that you see throughout Scripture, and it's the, the, the picture is the Christian life as a race. And we're all running, and we're running, but we're running together. We're running together. 
You know, you, you see uh, an athlete, and an athlete's out playing in an event, and, and you have some, you know, guy in the crowd yell out to him, you know, you're a bum! You know, does he really care? You know, but that's not encouraging. But what about his teammate that comes and, and says, we got this? That's a lot more encouraging. The, the idea is as we run the race that God has set before us, we run it together alongside of one another. We are called to call, call to each other, to encourage each other to finish the race. And really, encouragement has different voices because people need different things in different seasons, just like a runner needs different things. You know, if you're running a race, uh, you know, my, my wife last year ran a half marathon and, you know, at the beginning she was all ready to go and I'm like, you can do this. And, and you know, you see her along the stages and, you know, there's a point, she said there was a point towards the very end where they had to go up a hill and she was about ready to die. Okay, you need a, you need a different type of encouragement then. You know, some of you, you're in different stages of life. You know, for those maybe that are around you, they're growing weary. They're tired. They're ready to quit. We're called to get alongside of them and tell them, hey, don't grow weary. Finish strong. To the one who stumbles. Because sometimes in your Christian life, you stumble and fall. And you know what though? A lot of times as Christians, what we do is we go, man, that poor little guy, he fell. Instead of getting alongside and saying, you know what? I've fallen too. I've messed up too. You know, and, and, and it's, not, uh, it's not the type of thing where we stand over top and go, how dare you fall? You know, what's your problem? An encouragement is coming alongside and calling them. Or maybe to the one who's gone off and done is teaching unbiblical things or doing unbiblical things, it's our job to call them back to the truth. Come alongside of them. Not scold them and reprimand them. There is some of that in Scripture, and we'll talk about that later on as we go through this. But the idea of encouragement is, is, is coming next to. Or to the one who's hurting. They're aching. They need warm counsel. They need a, a, a warm touch. Come alongside. Biblical encouragement is, is constantly bringing, uh, coming alongside of people. But really, ultimately what it is is this. Biblical encouragement is pointing to God. You know, those motivational posters, they point and they tell us to look in, dig deep. Find inner qualities of perseverance, determination, courage. And that's not necessarily wrong, but biblical encouragement is different because biblical encouragement has a different focus. It's focusing on God. Look to His promises. You come alongside of someone and they've messed up. You know what? We all mess up, but God's grace, isn't it good? You can keep going. Because when we think about it, both our strength to keep going and our greatest encouragement comes from God. Notice this passage in Romans. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is full of truth in this verse, but notice what he says there. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. There it's saying, may, may the God of parakaleo. 
It's that same word that's used of how we're supposed to interact with people. He says, that's who God is. God is a God of encouragement. He's not distant. You know, and, and that boggles my mind when I think about the fact that God is perfect. God is holy. God doesn't have any sin. And yet, Scripture tells me right here, right here, that He, he comes alongside. You know, you could think God being the one who would always offer criticism. But He doesn't. He offers encouragement, perseverance. What's saying in this passage is that God is the God of encouragement. God is the God of parakaleo. He encourages us. We look at the teaching of Jesus and how many times did Jesus come along as disciples. And then Jesus comes to the end of his earthly ministry and he's, and he's teaching and he says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to leave in a little bit. And that terrified them. Because why? Because he, all, all throughout the ministry, he was with them. And they would mess up and he would pick them up. And they would be hurt and he would encourage them. And so they're terrified. They're saying, we can't do this without you. And he says, you know what? I'm going to send, I'm going to send another. God's going to send down. When I leave, he's going to send another. And it, it's, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, in the passage where he's talking about that, he says to them, he says, I'm going to send another. And the Greek word he used to describe the Holy Spirit is the Greek word paraclete. Does that sound familiar? It's the same idea. It is the word that means one who comes alongside to encourage. So we look at Scripture and we see God says He's the God of encouragement. Jesus spent His whole ministry encouraging. And then He says, I'm going to send another, the Holy Spirit, and His responsibilities, He's going to encourage. And He's going to encourage you. How often do we see this of God in Scripture? How many times do we see God say to the people, do not be afraid? Over and over and over again we see that. Do not be afraid. Why does He say this? He say, do not be afraid because I'm up in heaven and I'm big. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, do not be afraid because you know, I'm better than your enemy. No, he doesn't say that. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. But over and over again, you see God say this, do not be afraid for I am with you. I am your paraclete. I am one that's going to come alongside and embrace you. You know, maybe... Your life has taken an unfamiliar or a difficult or a scary path. And it's frightening. It's hurtful. It's painful. You're thinking, there's, there's no way I can do this. God wants you to know that the Holy Spirit is your paraclete, the one who comes alongside and encourages. Then here's the thing. God then wants each of you, each of us, to be vessels of encouragement to each other. God wants each of us to call to one another, to help strengthen one another, to help each other keep going, to help each other keep believing, to help each other keep depending on Christ, to finish the course that God has set before us. God doesn't say, hey, I'm the God of encouragement, uh, and, and that's my responsibility. God says, I'm the God of encouragement, and I want you to encourage one another. So how are you doing on that? And it leads us to the second thing, and maybe this is the struggle. You say, I don't know how to do that. How do I encourage? When I look at uh, how are we to encourage, how do we do that? How do we make it happen? When I consider four lessons 
about encouraging that we can learn from Paul, and specifically in this book of 1 Thessalonians. Four lessons. First of all, take your Bibles again and look at 1 Thessalonians 5, where we were just a little bit ago, and I want you to notice the first one is our encouragement is built on the gospel. Notice, if you will, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, specifically says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are, alive, are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Notice the points of encouragement that Paul uses in this passage. First of all, he says, and remember, he's talking to a group of believers. And so I want to say here, that if you're here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's never became uh, uh, your, your Savior, then, then this is not to you. He says in this passage, he says this, God has not destined us for wrath. Because wrath is what comes upon those who, who have lived in sin and have, have, have done what is wrong. But God has actually told us that that's not His desire. Isn't that encouraging? He says, God has not destined us. God has not planned us for wrath. But notice what He says after that. But to obtain salvation. God has destined, God has planned, God has desired that you, each and every one of us, obtain salvation. So again, if you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, that's what God wants for you. That's God's desire for you. You know, it's easy to say that's what I want. You know, a lot of times we, we flatter people and, and by saying to them this, you know, oh man, I, I just wish this, was, this, this battle you're going through wasn't in your life and I wish I could do something about it. And really, they have no intention to do that. And God is saying here, He says, I, I never destined you for wrath, but I destined you for salvation. And then notice what He says after that. He says, destined you through sal- uh, to salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then notice what He says, who died. And isn't that encouragement? God says, you know, I didn't destine you for, for wrath. I destined you for salvation. And then I made it possible through the death of Christ. He goes on and he says, uh, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're alive or dead, we might live with him. See, here's the thing, is all of our encouragement is built on the gospel. You know, when I come alongside of someone, I can't come alongside of someone because I know anything more than they do. But I know Jesus. And I know what Jesus has done for me. And I know because Jesus died for my sins, my destiny isn't wrath. My destiny is salvation. And because my destiny is salvation, then that can be the greatest uh, uh, amount of encouragement I can give it to someone. Our current encouragement can never be severed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if it wasn't for the gospel, our lives would be nothing but despair. If eternal wrath was what was waiting for us, any encouragement would be meaningless. I mean, think about that for a moment. You know, if I said to someone, uh, you know what, you'll get through this. Let's just take away what Jesus did. You'll get through this. Of course, somewhere along the way, something else will come along and eventually you'll die and you'll spend eternity burning in hell. That's, that's, that's your hope. But you, you know what? That's not our hope. 
Because Jesus Christ paid the price. So our encouragement has to always be based on the gospel. Because God has not destined us to wrath, but for salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Encouragement is always built on the gospel. But second thing I want you to notice is that the work of God in one another's lives promotes encouragement. Take your Bibles again and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And again, I said this a few moments ago, but this church here that he's dealing with was not a perfect church. They had issues. They had problems. They, they, they struggled in sin, and, and, and yet, notice, notice how Paul interacts with them here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 4. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. I mean, isn't that encouraging right there? He goes on, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. He says to them this, he says, you've observed our lives. You've seen that we're we're people who are striving to live for God, and, and you've seen how God has worked because of the power that is in our lives. And he goes on and he says in verse 6, and you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and into Achaia. Here's what, what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, you're not a perfect church. And he's saying, you're, you are struggling. He's saying, even though you have been afflicted, even though you have issues, you need to know this, church at Thessalonians, the Thessalonians. He said, you need to know this, that you're an example to other people. Because God is at work in your life. And the church at at Macedonia and the church at Achaia see you and they see something different about you. And it's, it's, it's an infectious thing. What he's telling them is encouragement needs to be such that we live in such a way that we encourage others, but we observe God growing. And, and encouragement is seeing the work of God. And Paul was encouraging them by pointing out to them, God is working in you. Yeah, you're flawed. Yeah, you're sinful. Yeah, you keep making mistakes. But God is working in you. And what Paul was doing here was encouraging them. Encouragement must be genuine. We need to excel in looking and pointing out others where God is at work in their lives. And that is, that is a great thing. And a lot of times when I counsel people, that's what counseling is, is, is dealing with them and saying, yeah, you know, you're struggling here, but, but God's working God's at work. You must see that constantly. Henry Blackaby, who has written a number of different books, he says this. He says, it's wrong for Christians to ask, why isn't God at work in my life? Because he went on to say that God is always at work in our life. If you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. God is at work. So he says this, the question should be, why don't I see God at work in my life? Because God is always there. Because here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I, I, I know for myself, when I get discouraged, I have a very hard time seeing God at work. 
When I get down, I have a very hard time seeing God do something. And maybe in my life personally, maybe it's, it's discouragement from the ministry. Maybe it's discouragement in, in, in parenting or in relationships or something else. And I get discouraged and I sit back and I think, God, why aren't you doing anything? And then I have to stop and say, but God, you are. And it's such a thrill for me as your pastor to have people come to me all the time and say, you know, God's at work in my life. You know, and God's changing me in this way. And we cannot forget that. And encouragement is, is pointing out to each other how God is working in our lives and in each other's lives. And, and that's what it is. And we often become like Jonah. Do you remember Jonah? I mean, just remember the story of Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them a very simple message. Repent or die. <laughs> And Jonah says, I don't want to do that, God. That's my enemy. I don't want to go there. So he goes the opposite direction and he hops on a ship and he's going in the opposite way and God sends this massive storm and the ship's being rocked about and, and, and the, the, the people on the ship are saying, what's going on? And Jonah says, my fault. It's all my fault. If you throw me into the ocean, if you throw me into the sea, you'll be okay. And so they take him reluctantly and they throw him into the ocean. And Jonah's thinking, I'm done. I'm, I'm toast. And along comes this massive fish and swallows him up. And again, he's probably thinking, I'm toast. And here he finds himself alive inside a fish. And he begins to pray to God. And God says, Jonah, I'm going to give you another opportunity. Go. So Jonah gets out of the fish and he goes to Nineveh and he reluctantly again comes and he begins preaching, you know, repent. Or you're going to be destroyed. And the Bible tells us what happens. The entire city comes to God. And what does Jonah do? He pouts. God, it is so hot in this city. I can't believe how hot it is. The Bible tells us God sends a plant to offer him shade. And what does he do? He complains again. You know, I think we are often like Jonah. We're sitting under a bush pouting at God when he's at work in our lives. And we're not taking the time to notice it. We're not taking the time to notice how he's, how he's growing us, how he's strengthening us. When you get discouraged... How incredibly strengthening is it for someone else to come along and remind you of what God has done for you? Remind you of what God has done for you. You know, oftentimes when I am counseling people, the, the one, I, I give out homework assignments and I'll say, this is what I want you to do. And usually one of the first things I do is I want you to do, write something, a list of positive things dealing whatever it is I'm counseling them on. A list of positive things, because so often when we get discouraged, when we get down, we don't think of the positive. And our responsibility, and what Paul was doing with these people here, was he was saying, you know what? You have problems. You have flaws. But yet, you're growing. And don't ever forget that. When we encourage people, it's our responsibility to come alongside of them and say, you know what? <laughs> you maybe have messed up. But I see good things. Not flattery, encouragement. The third thing that encouragement is, is encourage, we need to encourage one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. We will get to this aspect in a greater detail in some of the other one another passages. 
But one of the ways that we encourage others is to encourage them to live in obedience to God. Notice, if you will, 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 2 and verse 11. And he says in chapter 2, verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says here, having been saved, we are all children of God. And so because we're children of God, we need to walk in a way that promotes the king. It is, it is expected of us. He calls us to make progress in our sanctification, to grow. He calls us to do that, to live in a way of increased holiness and to grow in obedience. Oswald Chambers, the author, said this, one step forward in obedience is worth years of studying about it. We need to grow. We're not saved by obedience. We know that we're saved by faith in Christ. However, true faith will lead to a growing obedience. If you have truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to grow and you're going to begin to act. You know, you know I said earlier that oftentimes a Christian life is compared to a run because it's, it requires endurance, but it also is compared to a walk, which I think is interesting because a walk is what? It's tedious. It's one step at a time. I have, I, I have never been a big fan of walks. Any of you with me on that? I enjoy going with my wife. And, uh, but, or if it's a scenic location. But just walking for the sake of walking just isn't my thing. Because it's boring to me. You know, sometimes, that's the idea, sometimes it is that. But it's taking one step and then another. And here he says to them, he says, you need to do that. But how do we encourage one another to walk in a manner worthy Notice what Paul says again back in verse 11. He says, how do we do it? He says, like a father with his children. You know, Paul is not shy about calling Christians to obey. God calls us to obey His commands. And He calls us and He tells us our happiness and our peace is hinged on our obedience. He tells us that our rewards are hinged on our obedience. And our encouragement needs to be, when we encourage others, there needs to be a call to, to, to obey. It's not just enough to sit by someone and say, oh, I'm sorry you're going through this when they're, when they're clearly in sin. We need to call them to obedience. But how do we do it? We do it in an encouraging fashion. We see that it's with Paul, it's, it's encouragement. It's not harsh. It's encouraging. It magnifies the grace of God over and over and over again. I want to look at quickly a few passages in Thessalonians, if you will. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. And notice how Paul says it here. He says, But now that Timothy has come to you from or come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you were always remembering us kindly, and longed to see us as we longed to see you. I read the wrong verse. Sorry about that. I knew that didn't sound right. Verse four, Chapter 4, verse 1, excuse me. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more and more. What is he saying? Paul is saying this. He's coming alongside and he's saying, I urge you, I encourage you, walk in the way that you're supposed to. 
Walk in the way that is pleasing to God. And he said, you're already doing it. Notice that he says that in that verse. He says, just as you're doing, you're already doing it, but he said, keep doing it. Keep doing it. You see the encouragement he gives there? It's not uh, you know, standing over top and saying, you're a bunch of, of sinners. Are they? Yes. But it's the encouragement. Notice, if you will, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and look down at verse 9. He says there in verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout uh, uh, Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Notice again how he does it. He looks and he says, I'm, I'm going to write to you about loving one another, but he says, I really don't have to take a long time to tell you what it means to love because you're already doing it. You're already doing it. But he wraps his arms around him and says, but keep doing it. Do it more and more and more. He's encouraging, but he's not, he's not pounding them in the head. Look at again now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. We read this a few moments ago in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Again, he says, hey, build each other up. Encourage one another. You're already doing, but keep doing it. Here's the thing. Paul does this in love. Paul doesn't say, you sinful hypocrites, grow up. He's firm, but he's loving. I want to pause for a moment and kind of step to the side, take off my, my pastor's hat, and I want to put on my, my previous hat, which was youth pastor. And I want to say this, there's many times as a youth pastor where I saw more damage done in the lives of teens because adults didn't come alongside and encourage them, but they stood over them and judged them. Listen, if you're here and you're an adult, you're not perfect. And you've messed up and you've done wrong things. And you know what? The greatest thing you can do for a teen, or maybe you're, you're older, the greatest thing you can do for a couple in their 20s or, or, or 30s or, or whatever it is, the greatest thing you can do is come alongside, not stand over top and judge them. I can't even tell you how many times that I've seen teens that were hurt because yes, they were in sin. Yes, they were doing stupid things. Yes, they should have changed. But instead of an adult coming alongside of them and in lovingly encouraging them, they had adults come alongside and bash them. We can do more with love and encouragement. Should we tell them they're wrong? Absolutely. But notice what Paul says. He says, like a father to his child. You know what? We've all been there. We've all made mistakes. And many times, uh, teens or, or young couples, they, they know their mistakes. They just need someone who, who loves them and will care about them. And Paul says we need to encourage one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. And then finally, we need to encourage one another with the imminent return of Christ. If you look in your Bibles at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and notice what he says in chapter 4 and verse 15. He says, For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, 
that we who are alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. Therefore, parakaleo one another with these words. I think we should be encouraging each other with the return of Christ more than we do. Believers in Paul's day, as I said, they were, they were expecting Christ to come back in their lifetime, and that's why many in this church had actually uh, ceased from work, and they weren't, they weren't doing what they were supposed to do, and Paul's encouraging them, keep going, but yet the idea was they expected Christ was going to come back, and I believe that we as believers today need to believe the same thing. Christ could come back even in our lifetime. We should expect that. And thinking about the everyday, talking about that a lot, encouraging one another with the Lord, encourages us to keep going. We come alongside of people, we encourage them. Yes, yes, you might be going through a hard trial, but you know what? Look at the end. It's coming. We will all one day be caught up with Him. Or if we die before He comes, we'll be raised up from death to meet Him in the air. Scripture says, and there will will we ever be. The Bible tells us we're not of this world. It tells us that in numerous places. It tells us we're just strangers. It tells us we're, we're ambassadors. It tells us we're wanderers. But the idea as Christians is this is not our final home. Some of you have have, have traveled and, and been in, in the military and you, you get restationed and restationed and restationed and you get to a new place and you really don't want to call it your home because you know you're probably going to go there again and, and you get to the next one and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so uh, the idea is that as Christians, this is not our home, so why do we take so much time focusing on this? What Paul says, encourage each other to look beyond. To look beyond here. So let me ask you a question. In your mind, is this an encouraging church? If your answer is yes, well, praise the Lord, keep it up. If your answer is no, then I want to ask you, what are you doing wrong? So many people will say, well, you know, this person didn't encourage me. It does not say in Scripture Have everyone encourage you. It says encourage one another. As I said throughout, that phrase one another in the Greek is one word and it means mutual. So we are supposed to be mutually doing this. It's not just for others, but it's also for you. If you never invest in the lives of other believers in this church, then you're not obeying the command to encourage. Do you invest? It's not from a distance. I want to challenge you this week, and this is really a practical, simple application, but I want to challenge you this week to at some time this week, at some time, find a time to send a, a, a note of encouragement, whether it's uh, uh, you know, snail mail, email, text, phone, something, find some way to encourage someone in this body this week. 
you'll find that in, in turn it will be encouragement to you. You know, as you grow to love each other and as you grow to feel each other's burden, it becomes more of something you want to do. I find in my own life, and I don't say this to pat myself on the back or to say I'm holy, but I don't have enough time to do is the encouraging I want to do. You know, I hear about someone and they're struggling. I'm like, oh man, I want to go and right now go and visit them and talk to them. And I, I can't. I don't have the time. But we can do it together. It doesn't matter the, the, where you are in life. It doesn't matter uh, what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter as far as your age. We can all be encouraging each other in the way that we interact. So I challenge you, are you encouraging one another. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the example that Paul gave us of encouraging. Lord, we know that uh, Paul interacted with a lot of churches and yet he um, loved each one of them. He had a passion to see them grow. He had a desire to see them change and he's trying to tell this church here that the way to do that is through encouragement. Well, there are other aspects as well, but we know that encouragement is a big part of it. Lord, I pray that our church will be that type of church or that we'll come alongside, we'll not just accuse from a distance, we'll not just judge from a distance, Lord, but we'll be, be able to relate to each other and feel each other's needs and we'll point each other to Jesus Christ and the gospel that we'll encourage each other with the, the imminent return of Christ that will provoke each other and encourage each other to walk worthy. Lord, and I pray that you'll help us to do that as a church. We ask this in your name. Amen.